0: at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them.
1: Christmas is a busy time, isn't it? It is. Uh, it's a stressor. There's so many things that demand our attention. I mean, even this morning, before church, I was over in the. I, I got out of the house and I was reviewing my sermon. And I'm in the middle of reviewing my sermon, and I remember, oh, I need pancetta you know, and I need some chicken breast, and I had to make a quick run through Publix before they closed so I can make sure we have food for our dinner tonight. You know, it's just, uh, even just the other day, I, we were, I was sitting there getting a meal prepared, and everybody, just about everybody in the house were in different rooms wrapping presents and, you know, getting them under the tree, and it's just, it's just chaotic, isn't it? And, you know, it, and just for you parents with little kids, it doesn't get any better, just so you know. It doesn't get any better. Uh, so many things demanding our attention during this Christmas season. So, this morning, I'd like us to focus our attention on an aspect of the, the Christmas story that normally, I think, maybe gets just a surface-level glance. There's so many things in Luke chapter 2, even in the passage that was just read, that gets our, typically gets our attention. I mean, it's hard to top Gabriel, the archangel, you know, and... Uh, Angel army of host of heaven, and you got Joseph and Mary, and uh, and of course you know baby Jesus in the manger. Just, just all of these things in this story capture our attention. So it's understandable that we might think, uh, not think too deeply about the shepherds and and their role in this story, and why God does so much through the shepherds. If you think about it, in Luke chapter two, these shepherds. They occupy center stage. And so this morning, I thought it would be good for us to consider them a little more intentionally. The first thing we want to notice is the gospel announcement in verses 10 to 14. Verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. That word good news is the word that we often refer to as gospel. The gospel is the good news. And in this case of great joy that will be for all the people. The reason this is a good news, a gospel of great joy is because of the content. For unto us, uh, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now what's interesting about the gospel, as much as it is good news underlying that good news is bad news. It's both sides of the coin. In the gospel is this recognition that we need a savior. That our normal spiritual condition is such that we cannot save ourselves. We need something from outside of ourselves to redeem us from our sins. The John the apostle will later write in John 3, he that believeth in the Son has life, but he that does not believe in the Son does not have life. But the wrath of God abides upon him forever. The bad news of the gospel is that our sin deserves the wrath of God. But the good news is that on this day, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, literally, God himself takes on flesh to fulfill this role, this calling, this position of being the Christ, the anointed one, or the word that we often understand, the Messiah, this prediction, this long-looked-for promise of the Hebrew people, that a Messiah would come to be their deliverer. Now in their mind, this deliverer was to deliver them in a political sense. They were under occupation by the Roman Empire and by other enemies. And so their hope was that the Messiah would come and that he would defeat all of their physical enemies and restore that Davidic kingdom where they would rule supreme in the Middle East and influencing the nations around them. But What they didn't understand is that Jesus the Messiah did not come to restore a political kingdom, to defeat earthly political enemies. He came to defeat our ultimate enemy, the eternal enemy of sin and death and Satan. And the result of this good news is verse 14. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace with God is the result of this good news? I don't know if you've noticed lately, but uh, on social media, there's been these things that, you know, apparently guys are fascinated with Rome uh, and the Roman Empire. And as I saw this, I thought to myself, yeah, that's true. That's very true. I mean, my son and I, we talk about the Roman Empire and the different things about Rome all the time, you know? And, and it's, I don't know why, it just is. So, what I'm saying, but, so along in this, this thing that's been happening, I've been noticing that uh, Stoicism, the philosophy of Stoicism is making a comeback because, you know, Marcus Aurelius is, you know, this, this respected Roman Caesar, and he was a well-known, famous Stoic, and so Stoicism is now everywhere. And there's a lot about Stoicism that, you know, honestly, I've always enjoyed. There's a lot of good common grace, good truth in the philosophy of Stoicism, but it falls short. And even, even their own philosophers acknowledged this. Epistetus, who was a famous uh, Stoic philosopher, once wrote, while the emperor may give peace... From war on land and sea, he's unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. See, we turn to philosophies and we turn to different things yearning for peace, and they don't deliver. They can give a a partial satisfaction, but they can't give eternal satisfaction. And so we're always looking for that peace. And the reason why we're looking for peace is because our natural human condition as sinners separates us from God, from our creator, so that we do not have that peace. And that's why the good news of Jesus is so great. He restores that peace. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off had been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so this introduction of the gospel in this passage now brings us to what I want us to kind of dwell and, and, and meditate on upon this morning how the gospel and these shepherds how they interact and how God uses them in such a key way and what you see is that it's through these shepherds in this field that God ends up affirming the gospel of Jesus Christ to us validating it in various ways he does it i would say suggest in three ways through these shepherds first of all he validates the gospels the gospel through these actual specific physical shepherds they themselves have an important role in validating the truthfulness of the gospel. Verse 8 tells us, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, that's an important phrase because in the uh, ancient Israel, the Mishnah teaches us that sheep were not allowed around the cities and the villages for a very specific reason. They were known to destroy the land that they would want to farm. And so the sheep were kept out in mountainous regions, far away from the towns and the villages and the cities where they would then, in on the outlying areas, have farms And for because it was an agricultural nation. But there was an exception made for this area right outside of Bethlehem. This area is known as Migdal Eder, and it's about a mile outside of the city of 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 Bethlehem, or the town of Bethlehem, and there was a a tower there. In the Old Testament, it was known as the watchtower of the flock. And this area is rich in history. Uh, This is the area, for example, where Jacob wrestled with the angel. Uh, This is the area where Jacob, you know, saw the stairway to heaven, Um, okay? This is the area where the angels go back and forth. Um, This is the area when he returns after being away for 20-some-odd years, that after his wife Rachel dies, he settles right here. He, he plants his flag. This is his uh, central headquarters, so to speak, and this is where he lives, in Migdal Eder. Uh, even more importantly, 700 years before Jesus is born, <clears throat> a prophecy is given about this area and about this tower. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, As for you, O watchtower of the flock, a stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, what does that mean? Well, the rabbis, and uh, when the Jews were in exile in Babylon, 550 B.C., the rabbis taught in the Targum that this area, would be the area where the messiah would reveal himself so when they wrote commentaries on the scriptures when they came to micah chapter 4 verse 8 they they rightly pointed out this prophecy means that the messiah is going to be born and be revealed in this area of the world so the israelites they knew the importance of this pasture area this watchtower this town and hundreds of years before prophecy was given and then fulfilled on this glorious night. And so through these shepherds and this event, God is validating the truthfulness of the gospel of what had been prophesied and promised hundreds of years before. Secondly, God with these shepherds illustrates the truth of the gospel for us through simply the commonality of these men. These men's social status is analogous to our spiritual status. Uh, The shepherds in Israel at this time, if you look at the social pecking order and if there was like a ladder of, you know, the most respected, the most valued, the cleanest, everything, the most religious and spiritually upright, down to the, the dirtiest, unclean, you know, you get around them, you're contaminated kind of person, right? So, of course, the Pharisees thought that, you know, they were at the top of that order. But who was at the bottom? Well, the lepers, We talked about the lepers just recently as we've been going through the book of Luke. The lepers were at the bottom. Right above the lepers, shepherds. Shepherds. You see, the shepherds were seen as being perpetually contaminated and polluted. They were perpetually unclean. How many of you have ever been around sheep? Raise your hand. Okay. You know, we, we sing, you know, Mary had a little lamb. Now, when you sing Mary had a little lamb, how do you envision that little lamb, right? You know, just a little fur ball, you know, a little puff ball, you know? and this little clean little, you know, hold it. Sheep are disgusting, disgusting. They are dirty, filthy animals. I mean, just think about the back end of their wool. Just leave it at that, okay? They are dirty, filthy animals. And so, if you are a shepherd, you couldn't just come home. Because if you came home, you now made everybody in your home, your family, unclean. It was the same as if they had been touched by a leper. That they could not go to synagogue, they could not go to the temple, they could not incorporate into normal society unless they went through extensive purification ceremonies so that they were now acceptable to the population. They were perpetually unclean, and so they were outcast in their society. I think, don't miss the significance that on this great day, the good news comes to the people who are the outcast, who are always considered unclean. They were not at the top of the ladder, they're at the bottom of the ladder. How good is that for each and every one of us? That the gospel comes to all people All people groups, not just the privileged or the wealthy or the educated or the powerful or the people who have their life together. The gospel is for the people who don't have their life together. The gospel is for the people who can acknowledge and recognize, I'm unclean. I need a savior. I need cleaning. And so the gospel is specifically for those who are not powerful who spiritually can relate to these shepherds. Their status is our status. Their anticipated shepherd is our good shepherd. Again, another prophecy about this. Micah chapter 5, verse 24, about this area. In Micah 5, verse 2, we read, O Bethlehem, if you, there we go, O Bethlehem of Rada, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old and from ancient days, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock and the strength of the Lord. Again, 700 years before Jesus is born, the, God through the prophet predict where their Messiah, their great shepherd will come from and where he will be born is in Bethlehem. When you read the Matthew account, the the story of the of the wise men, the magi, when they come looking, you know, the star guides them, and they come looking for this new king of the Jews, and they come to the existing king of the Jews, Herod, and they say, where's the king of the Jews? And he's going well, right here. No, 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 the one that the star has led us to, and, and he doesn't know, so he brings in the rabbis and the scribes, and they say, he's looking for the Messiah, this king. Well, any idea? And they quote this verse Everyone knows their promised Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And here he is, this shepherd that they anticipate has come in church. This anticipated great shepherd is our good shepherd. He declares about himself, I I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I lay down my life For the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. God is illustrating the gospel to us through these very common shepherds. Their social status is our spiritual status. Their anticipated shepherd is our good shepherd. And I would suggest the most important illustration comes from the fact that their job is now obsolete. Their job as shepherds with this particular flock is now irrelevant. They are made obsolete on this evening. You see, the, the watchtower of the flock was a special flock. The reason why it was allowed to be closer to the cities and villages than all the other sheep and you know, flocks of, of animals across Israel is because this flock was a special flock. This was the flock that was sourced for so many people with the feast of the Passover. That great annual feast that people had participated in, and they, they had to bring a perfect lamb. And if they, most people didn't have one, so they, they bought it. And they bought it from this flock. Now, to give you a, a sense of the importance and the size of this flock, the the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus in 4 BC was commenting about the Passover and the feast of the Passover and said that on that particular year, the feast of the Passover, they sacrificed, they slaughtered 250,000 lambs. Did you hear that? I mean, it's just nonstop. I mean, blood everywhere. They talk about how the, Aroma, and, I, and, and those of you who love sheep, I'm sorry about this part. Some of you, your face is like, no, she's not the sheep. I understand. Which is why this is good news. They're obsolete, right? Um, the aroma of blood emanating from Jerusalem could be smelled for miles away. Those who lived in Bethlehem could smell the blood of the slaughtered sheep. Every year that was taking place at the Passover, that's how thick it was. And what an object lesson this was to the people of Israel. The severity of our sin requires that kind of sacrifice. But those lambs and goats and bulls that were being sacrificed, they couldn't actually bring about atonement for sin, all of that slaughter was to give us just an inkling of the idea of the significance of the Lamb of God who would be slaughtered. So that years later, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, his cousin, walking down the road to him, he says, look, everyone, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. How important it is to see this truth of the gospel illustrated and how beautiful that these men are now no longer needed because the true eternal lamb has been born. So God affirms the gospel of Jesus Christ to these ordinary shepherds. He validates the truthfulness, the authenticity of it through these specifically located men in time and history. He illustrates the truth of it Through their simple commonality in the roles they play. And then finally this morning, he communicates and spreads the gospel through shepherds like this and all subsequent shepherds. These men, when they saw it, verse 17 says, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Let's don't miss this application, a couple of some important applications this morning for us. First of all, those of us who are believers, who we have committed our lives to Christ and we follow him. There's a couple of things that we should carry away from this by way of application. Uh, all of us are called to be shepherds who proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us can see the role that these men played in God's kingdom and redemptive history and recognize that is our role also. We have all been called to shepherd someone. Many of you are parents. You have children in your home right now. I hope you understand your calling to shepherd your children to Jesus by giving them the gospel, by communicating it to them verbally, but then living it out and all of its glory before them. And this means when you sin in your home, which I know hardly ever happens when you're a parent, but when you sin, you are quick to confess your sinfulness to your children and ask them to forgive you so that they can understand the importance of sin and being forgiven before God. This means that you carve time out of your week to teach them the word of God that when opportunities come along, you glorify God. You, you show them how God is everywhere, how Christ is everywhere, where the gospel is throughout the day. And when you're facing conflict, you bring the truth of the gospel to that conflict so that they understand God has something to say about their lives. These initial shepherds, they communicate the word. They spread it everywhere. Later in chapter 2, there's an older ma- old man by the name of Simeon. I can't help but wonder if these shepherds spread it so much that Simeon, who's been looking for the Messiah for decades, and he's near death, and now he's excited. I, I can't help but wonder, did he hear a little bit ahead of time that something had happened in Bethlehem, and now he's excited, and he's looking for the Messiah. He's looking for Joseph and Mary when they show up. Believers, all of us are called to shepherd. So who's in your life that God has put there to shepherd? Who is that person? Also, believers, think about it from another perspective. You are a believer today because a shepherd communicated the gospel to you. Someone shepherded your soul and your life. And so I would encourage you to think even this morning, this next day or two, who are those people in your life who communicated and gave you the greatest gift that could ever be given to you? Who are those people? And maybe this is the time of the year, perhaps in this Christmas season, you take a few minutes out and you make a phone call or you jot a text and you express appreciation for those people, those shepherds, who were faithful to give you the good news of Jesus Christ and change your life. Now, not everyone here this morning, I know, is a believer. Some of you, uh, you're here uh, perhaps you're here because you had family who came. Perhaps you're here because uh, you have, your life has been in turmoil and you're looking for answers to what's going on in your life. I just want you to know we are thrilled that you are here in our church this morning. And what I want you to understand is that you are not here by accident. You are not here by happenstance and coincidence. You are here this morning because God has created a divine appointment in your life you needed to hear this good news from this particular shepherd this morning because your soul depends upon it. If, if you have questions, here's what I'm going to lay, lay with you. As you hear what I'm talking about this morning, I mean, you hear this idea about prophecy, and then you're like, okay, so this was all predicted ahead of time? Yeah. And in fact, when you start looking at all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, over 300 of them, and you recognize how they're all fulfilled in Jesus, it helps you to better understand why we aren't taking blind leaps of faith into the dark, but our decision to commit our lives to Christ is very much grounded in the reality that God is in charge of everything, that he knows everything, that he directs everything, and that he loves us so much that he brings us into a room like this to hear the truth that we need for the salvation of our souls and our eternal destiny. And so if, you aren't here, if you're here this morning and you're asking these questions and you don't know Christ in the, as your personal Savior, I hope after the service, you know, do something with this. Make a decision to do something with it. Maybe you can stop by our care table. We have Stephen ministers. We have elders who will talk with you, pray with you. On the way out, when you, we shake hands, just mention to me, Jerry, I'd like to get together and talk for a little bit, and, and I'll set up a time, place, anywhere, anytime. And we'll have a private conversation. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage and to consider these very humble, common, ordinary, even in that day despised men, shepherds. And yet through those shepherds, you authenticate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I I pray that you would Uh, Use us in a similar way. Would you use us as shepherds to others who need to hear the good news of Jesus? May we be as faithful and excited and joyful as these shepherds on that day who had something wonderful to celebrate and to announce. But Lord, what they had to announce was no more wonderful than what we have to announce who have been redeemed by you. Give us that joy and that encouragement and that intensity and intentionality. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.